Hello and welcome to the Friday, September 4th, 2020 campaign kickoff edition of On Iowa Politics. This week, let the campaigns begin, COVID-19 skepticism, and the rural-urban divide. Hi, I'm James Lynch of the Cedar Rapids Gazette. With me today are Aaron Murphy, Lee Newspaper State House Bureau Chief. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning, James. Gazette Opinion Editor Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. And welcoming a new voice this morning, Tom Barton of the Quad City Times. Good morning, Tom. Good morning. Thanks for having me. You bet. You can find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. First up, let the campaign begin. Labor Day has been the traditional start to campaign season. Unfortunately, that's a tradition that has gone by the wayside. Uh, today's campaigns kicked off last Labor Day, I guess, or, or maybe earlier. Um, this year, it appears it's going to be a quiet Labor Day on the political front. The Iowa Federation of Labor, for example, has canceled its traditional events because of COVID-19. Um, so I guess Democratic politicians will have to grill their own steaks and tap their own kegs. Republicans, of course, will hire independent contractors to do, to do the honors. Um, the, Republicans also will uh, be in boat parades on various lakes and rivers around the state showing their Trump colors um, for the holiday. As we record this, we have less than 60 days until the election and about 31 days until Iowans can begin casting ballots. Of course, that assumes the parties and the courts will reach an agreement on when and how to ask for an absentee ballot. Taking a look at the state of the race, it's pretty clear that former Vice President Joe Biden is ahead of the polls, national polls, as well as many state polls, including enough states to get to at least 270 electoral college votes that he needs to win. The Grinnell College national poll out this week shows Biden leading President Donald Trump 49% to 41%, a margin greater than the margin of error. And that's consistent with most polls. Uh, in addition to asking the if the election was today question, Grinnell poll conducted by Selzer and company asked more than a thousand American adults how the president was doing. A slight majority, 52%, said he's not doing enough to curb coronavirus, although 4% said he's overreacting. <laughs> uh, that 52% is down 11 points from April. 42% said the economy is worse than Trump took office. That's down from 40. Um, that's down from March and uh, from 33% in 2019. And his overall job approval rating is now 42% approval to 50% don't approve. Uh, Todd, do you see a trend here? Should the president maybe move election day up before his numbers get worse? Yeah, he may actually want to move it back and maybe uh, not have the election until after there's a vaccine for the coronavirus. <laughs> you know, there's lots of talk out there that he's going to try to, they're going to try to speed something up to have an October, no, early November surprise. It'd have to be pretty early considering that the election's on the third. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, you know, the, the, the two big issues out there are the economy and the pandemic. And in both cases, he's, he's, his performance is, is being judged harshly by the electorate for the most part. You know, he's trying to change the subject to urban violence and that the, you know, Democrat run cities are, are controlled by anarchists, but it's not clear yet that that's getting a lot of traction. It's, it's getting coverage and, and, you know, the protesters in Portland are helping him out by continuing to, to protest, but uh, it's, you know, he's trying to shift gears and, and grab at whatever he can grab at right now. And it, 
it doesn't seem to be working. But hey, there's, you know, as you say, 60, 60 days left. It's a lifetime in <laughs> politics and like uh, a century during the, the Trump years. So, who knows? Yes. 60 seconds is a lifetime <laughs> in the Trump presidency, it seems like. Yeah. <laughs> and, and with COVID, um, we've seen all sorts of theories about vaccines and about where this came from and who's responsible for the, the, the virus and who's responsible for not, uh, I guess, curing the virus. Um, but the president is not the only one to get into trouble for his comments about COVID-19. Senator Joni Ernst uh, seemed to step in it this week when she said she was so skeptical of the number of deaths attributed to the virus. Um, Ernst suggested that the numbers might be inflated because in some cases, healthcare providers are reimbursed at a higher rate for COVID-19 patients. She went on to say that perhaps fewer than 10,000 of the 180,000 plus deaths attributed to COVID were, quote, actually singularly COVID-19, um, which actually those numbers correspond to CDC numbers showing that 6% of the cases of COVID, um, COVID was the only diagnosis listed on a death certificate. Uh, in the majority of cases, there are what they call comorbidities, which is a very scary term, I think. Uh, <laughs> comorbidities. You, you don't um, want them. You just don't uh, want yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. No thanks. Stay away. Ernst, uh, Ernst got some support from uh, her mentor, Senator Chuck Grassley, uh, the, the nemesis of waste, fraud, and abuse, abuse, who said it's not unheard of for people to game government programs. Uh, so I guess that's why uh, they're listing COVID-19 as the death so they can get a higher reimbursement. Aaron, um, it, it seems as though uh, Grassley was agreeing with Ernst about being skeptical that we don't really know what the correct numbers are or may not for several years when people actually go back and, and review all this. Um, is there... I mean, that's, is there room for skepticism here um, when we have, you know, CDC reporting one set of numbers, some people saying they're over reporting, others saying the numbers yeah. 180,000 is low. Right. Yeah. So, so, so what, what the, uh, Senator Ernst um, uh, said about the numbers is technically true. Um, as you noted, it, uh, that's how the CDC is clarifying those numbers what healthcare officials, medical officials, public health officials are concerned with is that that data, that number is being um, skewed uh, or used by people as, as a means to try to minimize uh, the impact of the, of the pandemic. You know, the, the, so, so while, while, again, it's, it's one of those things Yes, it's technically true. However, it requires context, and, and and that's where that's where the concern comes in is if if someone uses that data to say, see, only six people, or only six percent of people who get this. It's 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 not it's not it's not as dangerous as people are making it out to, to, to as it seems. Um, so so that's the concern from the kind of the healthcare side of this, and we've already seen groups step up and and, and say exactly that. The Iowa Medical Society uh, came out and talked about it. Um, a Des Moines area doctor who has kind of been active um, in the uh, in the public on on the during the pandemic over various issues. Uh, I saw went on CNN and talked about it. So um, they're trying to provide uh, that 
that full context. And, and then the other, the other underlying part of this is the, the kind of, of uh, suggestion or, or hint or kind of wink, wink that, that, that maybe um, healthcare providers are um, intentionally trying to artificially inflate numbers because they get a little bit of a funding boost right now uh, if they're treating COVID patients. Um, that's kind of another uh, conspiracy theory that's out there and, and, and what the question was getting at. Um, you mentioned Senator Grassley sort of coming to Senator Ernst's defense to a certain degree. Um, it was interesting when I talked to him about it and then his office even followed up with me afterward and, and um, basically tried to portray that, as you said, Senator Grassley acknowledges there's always, no matter what the government program um, there's always the opportunity for someone trying to game uh, the system. He, he avoided saying specifically that he thinks hospitals are doing that right now. He kind of spoke in more broad strokes um, uh, to avoid that specific accusation. It, it, it's interesting to me because it almost seems like it would make more sense from a political standpoint to say like, oh my God, yeah, people are dying from this. This is, you know, this is, this is the, yeah. the plague, the, you know, um, and, and then be able to blame everything on, on COVID-19. Um, but it seems like when people say, well, it's only 10,000 people have died from COVID, it sort of supports this whole idea of we don't need mask mandates. We don't need to shut down, uh, you know, gatherings. We don't have to, you know, that we're doing enough. It's just, and, um, and yeah, the numbers don't seem to support that that doing enough theory, um, but, but and, uh, and that's why you you have people who will want to spin the numbers, right? Because sure. you're right, the numbers don't suggest that. So that's why we see this kind of effort out there uh, to to spin those numbers like that CDC figure, and that's why uh, healthcare providers, public health officials, uh, were were disappointed by that. Yeah, yeah. Of course, uh, you know, maybe maybe it'll take care of itself uh, if we achieve herd immunity. Um, Todd, don't be sheepish. sheepish. Tell us more sheepish. about that. Yeah. yeah. I, I've got a whole bunch of puns if you want to hear them, but uh, no. Yeah, well, I, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm always open to puns. But, uh, the, uh, yeah, so, there, you know, there were reports out this week that the Trump administration is is sort of uh, looking favorably on this idea that, you know, if you if if we just sort of go back to business and let, you know, lots of people get infected with the coronavirus, that eventually through those infections will achieve, you know, national herd immunity. And and you know, I there are a lot of downsides to this. One of which is that probably a lot more people would die than uh, under you know, the current sort of effort to do public health uh, limits and, 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 and uh, steps like wearing masks and all of that, closing bars and, and that kind of thing. Uh, and you need a lot of people. I talked to an infectious disease expert at the University of Iowa who said that you'd need to have 50, maybe 70% of people infected before you could achieve herd immunity. Right now we're looking at, you know, about Two percent have been infected, maybe four if it's underreported. So that would take a long time. A lot of people would get sick. A lot of people would be in, in hospitals and ICUs and would probably overwhelm systems. 
in different parts of the country. So uh, it, it seems more like sort of trying to turn this, you know, failure to control the virus into some sort of action, into some sort of strategy. It's like, well, we're not, we're not doing enough and, and that's good, which I don't think most people agree with. And I don't know a lot of people that, uh, you know, are eager to join, you know, the, the herd that doesn't get well, which is, that's, I mean, that's, that's what's, you know, there are going to be different herds. It's all going to depend on which one you're in. And you know, this, all of this, the, what Ernst said, the speculation that the, the, the death counts aren't real and that maybe we could just, everyone could just get the virus and we'd all be safe. These are all just sort of tactics and, and political cover to, to sort of, you know, diminish the, the severity of the virus, which then diminishes the anger over how the Trump administration and Republicans have responded to it. And it's just, there's just a lot of people out there, a lot of politicians on the Republican side trying to basically uh, say this is no big deal and, you know, we're handling it and maybe we don't even have to handle it. And uh, it's all just a conspiracy to bring down the president and stuff like that that I'm hearing from readers. So, yeah, I, you know, herd immunity will probably come with a vaccine. And, you know, it's it's hard to say when that's going to happen. The president hopes soon. They've said by the end of the year, perhaps, but that's that's the way we're going to get herd immunity, not just sort of, you know, walking into the grocery store and, and touching all the carts and <laughs> and just, you know, throwing ourselves at the virus. I don't think that's going to work. Do you think that this whole conversation is going to change, um, sort of reach a tipping point when uh, elementary school kids start coming home with COVID and dying? Is that going to, I mean. Yeah, well, that's certainly going to, I mean, that, yeah, that would, that would definitely change the conversation. I mean, and that's, and that's the thing. I mean, going forward, I mean, we're going to go into the, into the fall and the winter. We're going to have, you know, flu season is going to begin. We're going to have, you know, there, there are experts who say we're going to see perhaps, you know, a a wintertime spike in, in COVID cases. I, you know, it's 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 daunting to think of all the different storylines that we could right. follow. I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, back in April and May when the governor was saying that we're in the recovery phase and everything's, you know, going according to plan, and now here we are on the, you know, the front page of the New York Times website among the, the, the places where this is growing the fastest. So, mm-hmm. which was predicted by a lot of people, and those predictions were sort of sidestepped. But sure, yeah, I sure. mean, so. It's unfortunately with this, it seems like the the storyline that seems to indicate things are going to get worse is the one to bet on. But you know, maybe maybe we'll maybe we'll get lucky. So let me ask you this, uh, you guys: uh, if if there's a, a vaccine by October or November, uh, are you going to be in line to get it? <laughs> I, I I'll I'll say this. Um... I, I think uh, if it's been scientifically, you know, tested and it's it's proven safe and just like any other uh, vaccine that we get, uh, I don't see any reason uh, why not to. Well, I think if the I think if the president gets reelected, I think journalists will be right after prison inmates on the list of people who get the vaccine. <laughs> so I don't expect to be in line anytime soon. <laughs> 
enemies of the state. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I mean, I guess the thing is, like uh, Aaron, like you said, if it's been scientifically tested, I, I just have my doubts that by October, you know, they're right. gonna, that it's going to go through all the trials and whatever. It um, seems awfully quick. Yeah, it seems awfully quick. And and I don't know if you saw the story the other day about uh, how President Gerald Ford uh, rushed uh, um, a vaccine you know, out, uh, to what was it? I can't even remember. Swine flu was it? Or yeah, I think that's yeah. Right. And it, it just turned into a fiasco. I mean, it, it didn't work. And, uh, so I think, I think there's going to be a lot of skeptics. I think a lot of, be a lot of Joni Ernst out there being skeptical. Uh, <laughs> um, and, and, you know, as, as reporters, skepticism is a good thing, I guess, but, um, yeah. Um, I, I, I'm hoping for October, but, um, not counting on it. So moving along here, the rural-urban divide. One of the other findings in the Grinnell National Poll was that while Biden has the support of suburban women and voters in urban areas, Trump leads in the rural areas. Um, however, Tom, uh, former Iowa Governor Tom Vilsack is pushing back on Trump's record for rural America. Um, what's the case he's making on his virtual heartland tour? Yeah, so uh, Vilsack says that uh, President Trump has overpromised and underdelivered for Iowa farmers impacted by the U.S. Chinese trade war, um, and that uh, the president and his administration um, have only kind of exacerbated the, the the pains that were being felt by farmers from that trade war by failing to keep Americans safe and the economy strong by mismanaging this global pandemic that's, uh, you know, ravaged some Iowa communities that are now struggling to rebuild from uh, from the derecho. Um, so Vilsack, who served as Secretary of Agriculture in the Obama-Biden administration, uh, contends that Joe Biden was faced with a similar test and that uh, the administration was able to minimize the damage of H1N1 and Ebola in terms of uh, impact to Americans and that uh, the Obama-Biden administration helped uh, rescue the U.S. economy from, from the Great Recession. Um, Vilsack, too, contends that, um, that the Democratic presidential candidate or nominee um, that promises a trade policy that recognizes the importance of going after China, but doing it in what Vilsack termed a smart, effective way with the rest of the world so that China can't use retaliatory tariffs against Iowa farmers. Um, Trump's approach, um, Vilsack argued, um, to go against China alone was done in kind of a haphazard fashion uh, without taking time to develop an alliance of nations kind of similarly situated and mistreated by um, uh, the, the Chinese and their, their trade practices. Um, you know, that again, resulted in these retaliatory tariffs from China on U.S. farm products um, and steel and aluminum, um, you know, that drastically lowered U.S. corn and soybean exports and increased equipment costs, created crop surpluses, and that drove commodity prices down. Um, and he said that, you know, while the Trump administration has negotiated this phase one trade deal with China to increase purchases, of U.S. farm and manufactured products, um, you know, following this roughly two-year trade war, um, Vilsack argues, look, China is not on track to, to meet these promises. And even if they did meet these promises, it would only simply get us back to where, um, I guess, we were at a time um, under the, the Biden-Obama uh, administration. 
And um, he also criticized the Trump administration for undermining Iowa's biofuel industry by granting these RFS waivers to oil refineries, um, arguing that, you know, with these waivers, that that's only further depressing corn prices, allowing China to manipulate this trade war and purchase corn at, at bargain prices. Um, and he's, he's making the, the argument that um, with, with Biden and, and with his vice presidential pick, California Senator Kamala Harris, um, that, uh, you know, they're committed to Iowa farmers. They're committed to keeping faith, as he said, with the renewable fuel standard. Um, they're committed to finding ways to expand use of renewable fuels. Um, you know, he talked about uh, Biden's economic plan um, and says that that um, includes provisions to invest in things like rural broadband expansion, improve roads, bridges, locks and dams to allow farm products to get to market uh, more effectively and efficiently, saving farmers money. Um, he was joined on the call by a Rock Island resident um, who works at uh, the John Deere seating plant, who said that uh, the plant was set to hire more people in anticipation of a good build season and corn prices of up to $7 a bushel in the spring and summer of 2018. And then essentially when the trade tariffs hit, that kind of ruined all of that. And now we're looking at um, prices a little under $350 a bushel right now. And, uh, you know, according to, to this Rock Island resident, this John Deere um, welder, you know, that doesn't sell a lot of planters, you know, and you, you look at what, you know, that's doing to, to John Deere and, and some of the announcements they've had in the recent past about, you know, having to, to, to either furlough or lay off workers and, and kind of that impact. Um, and uh, recent polling, on, although suggests that a majority of rural voters who aided Trump's 2016 victory um, are still backing the president ahead of the 2020 election, although that percentage may be um, on the decline. So, Tom, uh, I mean, I think it's safe to say that Vilsack knows a thing or two about Iowa voters. Does he, ex- you know, and Iowa went for Trump by nearly 10 points four years ago. Does he expect Iowa to be in play this year? Uh, he does, uh, though he also said that he sees every state uh, being a, a battleground state with Democrats taking no chances and nothing for granted uh, following Trump's victory in, in 2016. Um, that said, he, he does see Iowa playing a pivotal role uh, for, for Joe Biden to be able to, to not only get to 270 electoral votes, but uh, he said being able to go beyond the 270 electoral votes, um, stating that, uh, quote, there, there's no ability to doubt the outcome of this election and that as divided and polarized as this nation is, that, uh, that, that Biden will need to not just win the electoral college, but the popular vote as well. And, and that, you know, Iowa will be key in doing that and kind of developing the, what he said, developing the foundation for, for the legitimacy of election at a time when uh, Trump is casting aspersions on the integrity of mail-in voting and raising concerns about, about voter fraud. Um, Vilsack also added that um, as Democrats, he said, uh, I think we learned a lesson in 2016 by not spending enough time and attention uh, to key Midwestern states, including Iowa. Um, And and he said, we paid a serious price and the nation has paid a serious price and uh, we don't want to make that same mistake again. It's interesting. I was talking to Senator Grassley this week about uh, the delay in disaster assistance uh, for Iowa, and I, I asked him if he had been reminding the president that he needs Iowa uh, to win re-election. And Grassley said, I suppose he could win without Iowa, but I expect him to win Iowa. So uh, it's, 
that's an analysis I haven't heard elsewhere that he can win without Iowa. But the big question, I guess, Aaron, is can Trump carry Iowa with Kanye West on the ballot? <laughs> and and it is the big question now that we know that Kanye West for sure will be on the ballot. Um, in all seriousness, a quick thought on that here. Um, because we did see that in, in other states in, in four years ago where the third-party candidate um, was very much a factor in the outcome of some of these states, including Wisconsin, where uh, Jill Green got more votes than uh, the difference between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. Um, I haven't seen polling to confirm this, so this is my gut feeling, so take it for what it's worth. But, but this election doesn't feel like four years ago in that a third party candidate could upset the apple cart, uh, perhaps the way it, it, it did uh, again in 2016. Um, there were a lot of voters who just didn't want to vote for either candidate uh, four years ago. Um, and so there were a lot of more third party voters because of that. This year feels more like um, a, a very much a binary choice type election. Uh, you're either uh, gonna vote for Donald Trump um, because you're in his camp or, or you're going to vote for Joe Biden because either you're a Democrat or you're or someone who's, uh, um, you know, grow disenfranchised with President Trump over these past four years. At the most, maybe some people will choose to sit out the election, maybe not vote for either. But but I don't see, and again, wait to see the polling confirm how close I am to the mark on this, but I, I don't see a lot of votes for a third party candidate um, this election. And I apologize to Mr. West's campaign for being a wet black. Well, I think one of the other things that is that four years ago, Gary Johnson and, and um, now I blanked on her name, Jill. Jill Green. Yeah. Um, were out campaigning. They had actual campaign organizations and they were That's out true, doing true. events. I haven't seen any of that from Kanye West and, um, so yeah, I agree with you, Aaron, that it doesn't feel like there is another choice that there are other choices that it, it seems like it's either a or B or, or none of the above. Um, yeah, this year. So, and, uh, before we go, uh, important news out there about, uh, a Lincoln, Nebraska guy says we're living a lie when we talk about boneless chicken wings, because the meat actually is from the breast, not the, the wing. Um, which, you know, I, I've always wondered who, who it is spends all that time deboning those little chicken wings. It seems like a, a lot of work for not much gain. So uh, where do you come down on this? What's your preference? Uh, Buffalo style chicken tenders, wet tenders, saucy nugs? <laughs> I'll, Any- I'll tell you that uh, hearing those options, I understand why the marketing people chose bonus <laughs> Because none of that sounds good. Saucy nugs? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, on that note, that's it for this edition of On Iowa Politics. I hope it was worth your time. If you liked it, tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you find your podcasts. Send fan mail to podcasts at thegazette.com. And you can find us every week on the homepages of the Quad City Times, Sioux City Journal, Muscatine Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Imperfect will take us out today. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be on our show, send us a sound file and subscribe to us on Iowa 
on Iowa Politics. Wow, I can't talk today. Um, subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, for Aaron, Tom, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening. Stay well. Soldier Boy. Yo, I'm like a golden mirage. Hold your applause. Imperfect on the beat. Holding a bra. It's your girlfriend set. Put him in a whirlwind till the world ends. 2012, December 21st. So I'm putting in work until then. I'm gonna do this. Hip hop around the clock. I've unset it. Did it. Done it. Got it. Good MCs got the credit like me. That's unlikely. Imp on the beat. You know I keep it sweet with no sugar or additives. I'm just rapping, kids. You know I do this. It's like automatic-ish. I don't like to cuss when I bust. I don't like to do much, but sometimes I fuss. Get a little drunk and act like a fool. Fight anybody, don't matter the size. I'll batter some guys or just some small fries. Overcooked, you know I've been overlooked. You know I take it back to freestyles past like a uh, uh, uh. Let me take a breath and think before I just shrink my thoughts, shrink my temptations, and just keep facing the beat. If there's a mic, then I'm gonna be saying what's on my mind. It doesn't have to rhyme every single line, but if I do this, you know I'll untangle spines. Getting out of your element, I'm the other element. Got more intelligence, stomping like an elephant. Uh, who heard this kid spit before? You know you put your hands up and demanded more. The man is war, he's made of war. Studying the art of war, what would you start it for? Hard to the core with no bones inside. I swither around, I meant to say slither like a snake. But you know I'm not one of those. I just get on the mic and start to run some clothes. I don't got a gun to blow, unless it's the shotgun. I'm talking about blunts, man. I put MC straight in a dunce cap, and then I just do this. Run round like a hunchback. No Notre Dame, you know the same. Iowa Hawkeyes, that's the name of the game. I rep this shit so effing hard. I said I don't like to cuss, but it's effing hard. I'm the person in charge, and I'm in charge of making sure you're having a great time. I put it on like brake lights, but I'm never stopping. MCs are a cop in my style at the store. Check it at CDs Plus. No one else gets time to bust when I'm on the beat. I won't let it stop, yo. Hip, 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 hop, oh.